You're listening to the Mashup Americans. Hey, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. Today, we are celebrating one of the most important aspects of our souls, hip-hop. Beats, rhymes, and life, Rebecca. Beats, rhymes, and life. You know, we're going to get into my tribe obsession later. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about hip hop and how music and culture shape us and give us really access to ourselves. Ugh, it's so good. It's so, so good. good. And oh, we're we're doing it with one of our favorite people, Jeff Chang. He is the award-winning author of several books on hip hop, culture, race, segregation, you know, all the things. <laughs> His book, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of the Hip Hop Generation, was selected as one of the most important books of the past 25 years. Mm. Jeff has also started a record label, helped launch the careers of a few people you may know, like DJ Shadow and Blackalicious. And he's just uh, like an all around A plus human who we are so lucky to have in our orbit. And next year, he's coming out with a book on Bruce Lee and the formation of Asian American identity, which, uh, you know, is something of interest to us. And we are very excited to read. Very. So there's so much. Every time we talk to him, we leave inspired about the potential of music and community and liberation and humans and ourselves, mm -hmm. we're going to be all right. Right, Amy? We are. We're going to be all right. Here's Jeff. Okay, well, um, let's start with this. Happy birthday to hip hop. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> One of our closest companions and friends uh, that fills much of our souls, our, our souls full of mischief. Uh -huh, just a pun for our <laughs> Northern California hip hop lovers. I approve. Uh, <laughs> you approve? Yes. Uh, I do. There's a lot of like, you know, until infinity that I make a jokes of in my house that uh -huh. fall flat with the children. Um, <laughs> so we're 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 under 50. You're we, let's say we're averaging circa 50s in a, if we uh, want to talk about appearances jeff chang is sitting squarely at like 28 and you're just gonna live oh. there yeah oh my god a salt and pepper 28 thank oh, that's you that's just like my thank husband you. 10 out of 10 this is harassment <laughs> sorry no no flattery will get you all everywhere yes yes indeed i'm buying lunch okay yes. done. Lunch. <laughs> so we, we you know we were just talking about this before we we got started but you know, there's never been a world for me and Amy, at the very least, that has been without hip hop. This pop culture phenomenon, that's the context that we exist in. That's we don't know anything different. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Ugh, I can't imagine the loss to my <laughs> life and soul. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty extraordinary to think about, especially as we we've grown up with it being at its nascence and then becoming just you know, absolutely standard part of pop culture. But for you, do you have a sense of when, like, it, it's newness for you and when you were young and how you first understood, like, oh, this is something I'm interested in engaging with or that the world was starting to engage with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I So I probably was hitting teenage no not that old i was i was coming by out by the of, end of this in the math you're going to be like people are going to try to do the math like 100 <laughs> see 107 no he's yeah, 19 no, I'm, with I'm silver not hair that old. it's great yes, thank you um so yeah no i definitely remember that period where 
Rapper's Delight hits, you know, school, mm. and everybody's trying to learn all the lyrics. And, you know, and we're there and people are doing like two or three lines and then they forget and the other person will pick it up. And eventually everybody knew all the lines. And, you know, it's like that on the basketball team or at lunch or after school or that kind of stuff. And it was like, wow, what's this? And then a little bit later on, you start finding out about there's a whole visual culture attached to this. Like people mm-hmm. are taking spray paint and they're they're going up to subway cars and they're doing these murals on whole cars like for free for the benefit of New York City. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, these are kids doing that? Like... Mm-hmm. The rebellion in that and the beauty of it and all that stuff just, like, sparked all kinds of things. You know, and, of course, like, the dance and the music and the whole nine and trying to go out and buy the records or wait until, oh, here's here's something that'll date me. Like, waiting to listen on the AM station until they are going to play the 15-minute version of Rapper's Delight. So you have your finger on the record button. Waiting to, waiting to record it, right? To Love. To make your little pause tape or whatever. Like, yeah, that was my era. Did you ever listen to The Box? Absolutely. And sitting there with your VCR and doing all that. Yeah, oh, totally. Oh, my yeah. God. But I also love that you were doing this like... Six hours earlier, I'm like I'm visualizing these like Chinese Hapa local kids on the Punahou campus being like, "Oh, rappers delight." I don't know what was happening on Punahou because I didn't go to that school, but it's okay. Oh, no, he went to the other one. I went to Iolani, which again, yeah, is like competitive uh, private schools. (laughs) Yeah, I know this is very relevant to so many people. Stanford, Cal, USC, UCLA. Yeah, no, very competitive. Michigan, Ohio State. Like you just stepped in it, Amy. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, but no, yeah, no. Whatever they were doing at Punahou was probably okay, but at Iolani, I can tell you, we were. We were killing it in the lunchroom. <laughs> the- so it's it's whatever year we're like sort of amorphous right now. But ra- 79, Rapper's 80, in- yeah, around yeah. there, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. you know, we've got AM station late at night yeah. or whenever. Maybe it's actually the middle of the day because it's coming across. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're in Hawaii. Yeah. and um, But how are you sort of like, what are the places you're learning about it? You know, was there like a cool older pal or where are you learning that there's no, these- And that was- that was a beautiful thing. Yeah, that was a beautiful thing is you had to go out and find it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, like I actually remember the time that Wild Style, Charlie Ahern and Fab Five Freddy's amazing movie, which, you know, also celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. Um, I remember when it came to the what was called the Academy of Art. It was a museum. Mm-hmm. and And somehow I found out, like I was reading the newspaper or... Maybe I was listening to KTUH, which is like the left of the dial college radio station at University of Hawaii. And like they said, this is happening. And I got super excited and got all my little, my brother, my little graffiti pals and stuff. And we all went down to watch this movie in the Academy of Art Theater. Mm. And there were like four hippies there. This is no disrespect because obviously I'm like much older than them now, but like they were older hippies from the 60s, (laughs) like wearing tie-dye shirts. But there was like four of them there. And then there was this posse of us like just soaking it up. And in that movie, they had, you know, 
you have Lee coming down and he's got this mural and he's coming down, and he's rappelling himself down a rope, down a wall, and you're just like, what? and then they're in the train yard and then they're running from the, the, the cops and then the music and then like showing the, the clubs and the Bronx and then we're just like all about it. We're like, what is this? How do we like do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just this period of copying that happens where everybody is like searching for that one picture of a Futura 2000 mural in a magazine mm. uh, and like cutting that out and any anything that you could find and books that are coming out. And then PBS aired Style Wars and one copy got made and that got passed around the entire island. Mm. And, you know, you come back and it's like somebody's showing you Star Wars and it's like this pixelated whatever kind of, you know, grainy type of thing. And you're like, oh, that's the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy that like my friend originally taped. And so that's how we did it. And it was like a total underground scene. You know, there was maybe, you know, like, I don't know, under a thousand kids on the island, in all the islands that were really into all of this stuff. Mm. And, it was just a thing that we could speak our language to each other. But then, you know, of course, a little bit later, it it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. And, you know, it, it becomes everybody in, in the islands is, is, is about this. I'd say that's probably by about the 1990s, you know, like the yeah. early 1990s. Yeah. But can I say something about Rapper's Delight, though, which is just mm. a, our maybe 10 to 12 year age difference, is that by the time I was in fifth grade, shout out to another great uh, Asian American lady, Charlene Miyagishima, my teacher, uh, we did our like learning <laughs> like science to the tune of Rapper's Delight. So like, <laughs> did the you nucleus really? controls the cell. Like that <laughs> is literally so it just it, it, in terms of wait, wait, what this is a podcast, so y'all couldn't see Rebecca's yeah. hands like <laughs> movements. That's, uh, that, that, you know, I, amazing. Was, I, I, I have to find the lyrics from from <laughs> the got, full lyrics. Yes. But there was something um that how much that had already permeated that like our teachers were now using it to teach us something else that in that rhythm that meant it was just like that was the it was our vernacular already and this is like Mm -hmm. in elementary school in los angeles so i don't know it's a it's kind of amazing to think about the ways that it's our it as you're describing that literally going across the island Mm. you know and i mean we'll get into sort of these ideas of identity and who gets to do what but there's something so beautiful here about it just being something that resonates so deeply that like you're just like this is for me i i'm you know these kids in and there so many were kids in in the south bronx or whatever like there's this line that's connecting us across you know am radio (laughs) yeah yeah jeff you just gave us this beautiful description of how music can become part of our identity and how how hip-hop became part of yours and just that like kind of full immersion and kind of craving or desire to be in this and to want to be a part of something that you can see as a movement of Mm -hmm. of all different uh forms and all different mediums. And I wonder, does hip hop have a deeper power to bring people into to make it part of their identity, really, like part of who we are more so than any other form of music? Like we think like, oh, there's like punk kids, there's like, you know, goth folks. Is there something or what is 
different or unique about hip hop that people embrace it and can dive completely into it, maybe in a way that other forms of music or other genres do or don't do? Well, I, you know, I think music at that particular age, right, when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, music becomes a, a core part of your identity. It, it helps you to try to distinguish yourself, right? You're starting to be able to decide who you are and mm-hmm. how you want to present yourself and what you're about and what are the values and that kind of thing that you're you're trying to represent. Um, I mean, you're not thinking about it in that kind of deep way, but you're, right? You're thinking about, like, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're goth, then you're thinking about, oh, like, here's what I need to wear to show that I'm this kind of a person. And hip-hop was definitely that for us at that age, for sure. I'm reading your friend Hua, Hua Shu. Is that? Hua, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm reading Stay True right now. Stay True, absolutely. And so much of it is about, uh, this is his memoir, Pulitzer Prize winning, I believe, mm-hmm. about, it's a memoir, but there's so much about music and also about this idea of like, wanting, especially when you're growing or trying to figure out how, like, how much you're like, want your identity to be wrapped up in in what your taste is yeah, in some exactly. ways too yeah 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 you, the, what, <laughs> Hua just captures it and stay true where it's literally about like you know here are the zines that I read here are the zines that I make yeah. here are mm-hmm. the here are the bands that I listen to here are the bands that I definitely don't listen to mm-hmm. right and um and how that sets me apart from you, it's that, you know, it's that sort of distinguishing type of piece mm-hmm. that you're going, that process that you're going through where you're trying to distinguish yourself from from other folks. But the other part of it that's, you know, inherent in hip hop and all black music, uh, African-American music is, um, are the seeds of our freedom, of our liberation, uh, mm. thought writ large. We can mm-hmm. talk about that. I mean, I have all kinds of opinions about that, but literally, like, hip-hop gave me a voice, right? Yeah. Hip-hop made me want to write, actually. Yeah. You know, hip-hop made me want to take a spray paint can and spray my name on the wall or spray a name on the wall of an identity that I was assuming, right? And so that, you know is liberating and it you know because of the 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 way that we understand uh where it comes from and the history of all of that um it has massive social ramifications so it's not just personal kinds of implications but it has social ramifications as well and i don't know we could get into all of that later but yeah i think that that's i think that that's the thing is hip hop started me on a path but mm. i often tell people you know like i've written a book now about the arts and contemporary art and the yeah. art world and that kind of mm-hmm. thing and i've i've written about you know all kinds of music that's not hip hop mm-hmm. um music from all around the world and and it it all came through that process of openness and inquiry that hip hop gave to me right in mm-hmm. so that it wasn't just about finding a voice and then scurrying off and doing that little writing in my little hole and stuff and just being inside my head. Hip hop literally opened the doors to the world for me. Mm. Um, and so everything that I do and understand, I say like, that was the entry point for me. It was hip hop. Mm. 
It's so beautiful. Ugh, I already cried. I know. So rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait, Jeff. Get out okay. of here, Jeff. Okay. This was I'm sorry, really. I have to I have to pick up the mic here, you guys. <laughs> I just dropped it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, okay. I already was sorry. I, I was about to do another okay. quote. Some Dad quotes. jokes. Dad jokes. We can't help it. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's, it's my age. <laughs> you're, you're 20. You're 19. My, um, my 19, yeah. You know, I think the anniversary of this birthday of hip hop has also kind of surfaced a lot of angst about what hip hop has become. Mm -hmm. And like it is the kind of commitment to that openness and artistry and real community building and participation. And what you describe in Can't Stop, Won't Stop of just um, you call it polyculturalism. We'd call it mashiness. Does that still exist now? Do you see, you know, when you're out in the world that our kids, our 10 and 11 year olds still finding that? Same entry point, like kind of their lens and their opening into the world through this music. First of all, polyculturalism, big shout out to Robin D.G. Kelly and Vijay Prashad. Um, that's just me quoting them, you know, like and hip hop being this quote machine. Right. Um, I, you know, I don't know how 10 year olds are, are coming to hip hop now. Right. I don't know how you all came to hip hop. Actually, I know how I did. And I know how you did now because you're exp you're explaining it to me. But. Um, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. And we've had these discussions before too, right? Is it, is it like the style or the genre or the category of, of music, or is it the technology that that mm. is giving young folks, you know, f uh, the feeling of freedom, or, you know, is it like the rebelliousness or the yeah, content? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can I can speak for my generation and say that we were rebelling against a lot of stuff, and that hip hop um, was gave us a natural way to be able to express it. You know, for, so for me, this is really weird. But like, you know, these are the the founders of hip hop are young black kids and brown kids who grew up in you know these abandoned neighborhoods in New York City. Um, they're walking through neighborhoods that have been completely bombed out, completely abandoned, right? In which uh, buildings are burned to the ground, schools are closing, you know, so social services are drying up and that kind of thing. That's not what my experience was in Hawaii, in Honolulu, growing up in Honolulu at that time. But at the same time, it was hip hop that gave me a way to be able to comment and understand and process all the change that was happening to us going from the 70s into the 1980s in, mm -hmm. in, in, and the 1990s in Honolulu, right? Which is a massive amount of offshore investment and development and all these buildings going up, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I haven't, I've told people like in the past, I, got, I was mad at concrete. And so if I see these kids who are making these beautiful things on like subway trains, I'm thinking I don't even have to think that deeply. It's like visceral. It's like, oh, mm. man, you just put that new building up. I'm going to go tag it. It was like a, it was an impulse. It wasn't even the kind of thing where you had to process it in a conscious mind. I wasn't reasoning or justifying myself. I was just like, oh, I can do that now. Like I'm able, I have the agency to be able to do that mm -hmm. now. What was your tag? I started with Slim, and then when I redid the tag, then I went to SL2. And, uh, yeah, so that was my tag. Okay. Yeah. Just confirming. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> confirming. Have, either, have any of your children ever gotten arrested for tagging anything? <laughs> 
Have you no, ever had to have, pick them up? No, they've not. They've not. Yeah, they've they've not. Not for tagging. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm not. I'm not. This is where like actually the the public and the private yes, like line. Like no, I'm yeah. erecting a wall here <laughs> no. between us in the middle of this podcast. No, so, of course. Yeah, I do think. You know, Next question. <laughs> I think, you know, we've all had many, many times a conversation about like, and it's getting to be a stale one about appropriation versus, you know, appreciation or just where in particular, I think Asian folks fit into hip hop. And, you know, it's a black art form. It is like the ultimate American art form in the in the way that I think all of us are kind of looking at it. And there is still, I think, a question for a lot of people about like, how do I fit into this? Or can I claim this as part of me or my own? And I wonder just kind of what your take is on that. And you've had so many deep and profound conversations about this over the years that that, that are available for everybody to read. But like one thing that really stuck out to, to both Rebecca and I is in a documentary series, a, a short series that you did based on um, We're Gonna Be All Right. Mm. It's available on YouTube. Everybody should go watch it. <laughs> You featured an artist, Randy McFly, talking mm-hmm. about music and gentrification and community all along. And he says that he says the line, hip hop is an authenticity of self. Mm. And does that ring true to you? And does that authenticity of self feel like a mantra for anybody that is a lover of this art form and a lover of all the expressions of this art form that aren't black? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yes. We've been talking about this like ad nauseum, but as, there's also ways in which like we haven't talked about it deeply. Like yeah. I feel mm. like, so l- let's start with this idea of culture as property. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm. down for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not into this thing of like, my house is my house and I'm putting a fence around my house and you can't step into my house unless I invite you in. Mm-hmm, like, that's mm-hmm. not how culture works. Mm-mm. Like, artists make and they're influenced by who they're influenced by and then they put it out in the, into the world and they want to move people with that. Right? They want to move yeah. people with the art that they make. Mm-hmm. And if you are able to relate to that particular piece, that actually brings us closer together, right? It doesn't separate us. It doesn't fence us off from each other. It brings us closer together. And that's what I'm really interested. That's the conversation I'm really interested in having. Um, Having said that, we know that we've had to live in a society in which culture has become property people have been made into property right mm-hmm. we have to deal we have to people have been made into commodities we have to deal with that we have to mm. deal with the legacy of slavery we have to deal with the legacy of genocide and colonialism we have to deal with all those things and how do we do that well we don't do it by i don't think that we do it by replicating the conditions that brought us to that which is fence again fencing things off saying this is my property Right. That would limit me to like only being able to talk about like my like little block, you know, on the island, right? Like ten feet from the fish pond. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Not ten feet, about 
a hundred yards from the fish pond. Like, <laughs> but I'm not interested I in like that. I like that precision. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's like, what I'm saying. Just in case saying. you guys go to Mama <laughs> Chang's house and you got to do the to measurements. Celebrate. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's that's exactly it. It's a hundred yards. But just to say that, right? Yeah. Like, it sounds crazy, right? It doesn't sound right, right? It doesn't, like, how how far inside do we have to go to define what is ours and what we can then create? That's not how any artist thinks. Why should we close off what the experience is that you want to have and where you want to go? Yeah. Like, why should we foreclose that, especially if it's going to be something that will bring us closer together or allow us to unpack or understand a little bit more about what the human condition is and to reveal that to other people. Like, I, I think that that's what, um, that's the revolution, mm-hmm. right? That's the revolution. And, you know, and we keep on coming back to, you know, um, you know, Tony K. Bambara's thing that the, the, the job of an artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Mm-hmm. Well, the revolution is, is about, bringing us closer together, eliminating the boundaries between us, eliminating the inequities between us, and trying to move away from the injustices uh, of the past, um, I think, right? Which includes all the things that we enumerated before. So if that's the case, Mm. then the artists should be able to be allowed to to move where they they need to move. Mm -hmm. But having said that, right, like what we know is is that everybody inhabits uh, a body that's in a space that's definitely going to be gendered, racialized, and is going to be born into a particular class, mm-hmm. right? And and so having that uh, as a starting point for trying to build an authenticity of yourself is crucial. You have to know what that's about, and doing that should take you into inquiring about where it is that you're you're going when you're presenting yourself, right? Yeah. Because all of those things in terms of even the presentation of yourself, right? That's how other people are perceiving you based on all of these other things that society is is putting on you as well as what you've revealed from your internal type of self. You've got to deal with that. You've got to be able to deal yeah. with that. So I'm more forgiving than some of my peers and my students and friends are Hmm. sometimes around some of these questions of appropriation because people are able to change and grow as long as they're alive, right? Yeah. Oh, no, now I'll cry. I don't think, (laughs) well... Can I I just go to (laughs) Professor Chang's class all day? Best class. I I don't think it absolves us of criticism though, and I no. and, I, and that's that's the other part of it, right? Like, so I'm not trying to say this to shut down the arguments or that kind of thing, or be the professor at the front of the class who's like, <laughs> take notes and then go home and ponder this and then <laughs> and but then I will. repeat I it am. back to I'm me. I'm literally doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it fits, if it fits you, then it's you know, then it's good. But if it doesn't, then you know, then we can have a discussion and maybe I need to change my mind. And that's the good thing about it. But that's what it is, right? Yes. It's a conversation, right? It's a yeah. it's a discussion. Well, that's it's what art should be doing. It yeah. feels like an interrogation over time. I mean, I think even mm-hmm. the things that, let's say you learn these lyrics at some point or you're into it in a more performative way, let's just say, oh, everyone around me is doing this right. or something moves mm-hmm. me in it. I like the beats. I like the showmanship of this particular kind of performance. Like just thinking about like Biggie and like or something like a big jacket you're like into the thing but over Mm -hmm. time as you 
your eyes open and you sort of revisit those same lyrics or that same music as you're learning more over time and growing. And I can speak to myself like stuff that I somehow hit my soul. Then later I could understand intellectually. And I'm like, oh, this this person was describing exactly all the inequities that now I'm coming to become more aware of, be awakened to, that I didn't totally understand from my small corner of the world, but I've known them through music for 30 years or 40 years, right? But it's like the revisiting and the growing you're doing yourself, allowing for that. Like, oh, okay, someone was telling me this. I didn't hear. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing with like listening to Tracy Chapman. I'm like, this song could literally be written today. It's the same story written. Or you listen to, you know, Hurricane by Bob Dylan and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is a an anti-police, anti-racist like anthem that's a storytelling, you know, it has sort of it feels like it could have evolved into a hip hop song later <laughs> um if you're familiar with it, but it's like the same, you know, great art it can you can keep meeting it over and over yeah. again in your life. I do also love like that idea, Rebecca, that you're saying of meeting it over and over and how that relates to this incredibly beautiful concept that you laid out, Jeff, that that interrogation of self actually leads to like real intimacy with other people. Mm-hmm. Is that like that is actually mm. how you are going to do the thing that builds community, that breaks down walls, that allows us to build something new and fresh and like break a boundary and kind of move forward in a beautiful way. You can only do that if you have a way and that music can be that entry point into yourself. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily like something extractive, like an entry point into another culture, but into you. And it's just such a big and profound idea that if we get to know ourselves, we can create like a whole new world. And I I think if I look at the broad strokes of your work and your writing and thinking about art and music and race and identity, it always comes down to what it means to be in community or what Mm -hmm. a community is and how to build one and how, what are the pressures on a community? And I just, could you define for us what community is for you? What different forms does that take? Wow. (laughs) That's a beautiful and difficult question. Um, Hmm. Well, I, you know, it's just the self and the other, right? And closing that gap. It's about, that's what it's about really. And, uh, so, you know, I, I can I I sort of claim a lot of different communities and you know, we could we could sort of talk about them in terms of you know, this is my East Bay community. This is my community of writers. This is my community of of folks um and the Chinese American community. This is my like Native Hawaiian community. This is like the Filipino American community. Like these are my community. Like I can, you could like sort of be very like numerical and just kind of like list those those out. But I think it really just has to do with like how do we think of ourselves uh, when we walk out the door? Who are we when we walk out the door? And what are our responsibilities to each other? And what are our the roles that we need to be able to play um, for 
the greater good for what's happening outside of our doors. And I think so much of American, and I, 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 I use American to talk about specifically the U.S. here, but American life is so much of it has uh, an undercurrent of like retreat, like mm-hmm. retreat behind your doors, behind your fence, behind your, your surveillance camera, you know, behind your gun, um, mm. behind, you know, like that kind of piece. And I feel like I understand where that comes from, right? Like I understand that, um, I understand that to walk out the door is to invite yourself to be vulnerable and to, to suffer, right? Mm. To experience uh, pain and, and suffering uh, or to see it in others uh, and to be overwhelmed by that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I think, also the part that kind of makes us human. So I think I, 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 I thanks for mm-hmm. saying that, Amy. I'm not sure. I, it's, it's certainly an aspiration. Like when you write, you're sort of in a room by yourself and... Or actually, now that I'm in this co-writing space in in Berkeley, shout out Page Street, like <laughs> I might be writing in a room with other writers and stuff. But we're all very quiet and we're focused on what it is that we need to do. Uh, but you're inside your head, and 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 yet, what I hope for is that people will pick up what, something that I write and they'll look at it, and we'll be able to begin a conversation that way. So it's you know it's it's the process uh, of making the work and then the joy of seeing it get out into the world and then the compounding joys of being able to engage in people. I, I agree with you or I disagree with you or you got this wrong or mm-hmm. you got this really right or like this made me think of this, right? Which is Hua's book. This Hua's yeah. book is doing this for like millions of people right now. And, um, and people can see in this very personalized, very specific you know, very like Asian American story at UC Berkeley during this particular period in the '90s, like themselves, um, and have these amazing. I can smell those um, vintage sweaters that he's describing. I'm like, <laughs> it smells like musky, a, smells musky, like so much. teen spirit. <laughs> smells like teen spirit. Oh, yeah. so smells like teen spirit, uh, yes. like Caribbean cool. Um, the flavor, but I, I want to say, I feel like I think I just have like a mashup revelation so thank you 10 years into this you know we talk about what you just described as your communities is really what we think of as our mashups right like our hyphens of our identity right and that looks different for everyone or when we ask how do you mash up people might say i'm chinese american born in hawaii or people that's somebody you might fall into that (laughs) or uh i'm a writer Chinese, born in Hawaii, like the the layers of however you identify, right? What does that look like for you? And and we always talk about the hierarchy, like those move around sometimes depending on the circumstance, the stage of life. It's all connected, but you just described it in the form of community. And we always describe it in the form of identity. And I think even though that's what we, we often are talking about, we've never really named it that way, Amy. <laughs> this yeah. idea like, no, these are my communities. That's part of yeah. my identity. That's my hyphen. Those are my mashups is my communities, which they are when I say I'm a, you know, Salvadoran Jewish Angelino woman. you like, those are, Your those are my communities. And they're yeah. also 
ways I see myself or am seen or feel connected in. And I love this shift to to the community piece of that. That's so thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you all for that. <laughs> yes, identity and community, they go together, right? They they're in relationship with each other. There's also a way in making there's a way in making the shift from identity to community that makes it uh like very kind of blissfully less American. Like it's less about your single identification or how I put myself into the world and more about my relationship and the beauty of what is it? Reciprocity mm-hmm. or just like that that mm-hmm. kind of connection, kind of like soul beaming quality of being mm-hmm. in community that also I think l- leads to another obsession of ours, which is connected, but like an idea of home. And I think that what you define community as can sometimes be a proxy for like, where's home for you? Like, where's your spiritual home? Where's your creative home? Where's your artistic home? And I don't, I don't know that our culture gives us very much space to ask that question. I don't think it does because we are handed these things in kind of the uh, like American worldview. That's like, well, you're a Midwesterner or you're an elite, coastal person or you're black or you're Asian or you're rich or you're poor. And it's just like, but is does that define the usness? You know, mm-hmm. it's just like uh, it's starting to feel more and more limiting in a way that like I think even 10 years ago or like in a lot of different identity movements, it's about claiming that identity and taking it back and like making it all of who we are. And now I feel like more of a um, not a retreat, not like a backing into the corners, like the way we were talking about before, but more of like, a, oh, but we can also break this open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The the way that I've kind of, I like this um, notion that Kwame Anthony Apaya has put out and calls it the ethics of identity. Mm. And mm-hmm. I, I maybe kind of like, think about it maybe just a little bit differently than he does. But I, I think about it in a way of, so I, a lot of times identity movements come out of, they're generated by a condition of lack or of mm. a less thanness, right? Mm-hmm. So people feel like identity movements are restorative, right, uh, in that way. But w- when do we cross the line from the restorativeness of the movement into um, uh, a sort of ag- aggressiveness uh, mm-hmm. of it, and and that's where ethics come in. So I, the way I've been trying to think about it, I'm doing this Bruce Lee book and stuff, and I've been thinking about it in terms of. Well, wait, hold on, please, real cash. He's like, I'm just doing this Bruce Lee book. Okay, and so he so, is the. I, I'm gonna set the table for our listeners, which is that you are like the preeminent Bruce Lee scholar. Also, I'm not. I'm really not. I'm not. You are, I, I do not want to claim that. No. Okay. <laughs> I you do are not. A no. Bruce Lee scholar. I well, yeah, I guess so. Jeff's new book that is coming out in 2024. Yeah, hopefully, yes. If I can finish it, <laughs> I need to finish it. I need to go back and write it right after I get off with you guys. When he goes back to his silent room filled My with desk. other writers. Um, that <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's about the relationship of this iconic figure, Bruce Lee, and the development of Asian American politics and identity. So yeah. I just want people yeah, yeah, to yeah. know that as you go into whatever you were going to say. Go on. Go on, Jeff. Well, so the way I've been thinking about it is, 
martial arts, right? Martial arts. Martial war. These are war arts, mm. right? These are arts of war. And it's really uh, mind-blowing in this moment to try to be thinking about, like, martial arts in the context of rising violence against those of us who have been racialized by other folks as mm. being Asians, right? So mm -hmm. then, so we get looked at a certain kind of way and then people attack us. And then that, that makes us like come together even more because we need to, to protect ourselves. It's a lack of safety, right? It's a lack. So in that regard, like identity becomes even more important to us Right. But then as we assert that Asian Americanness, then how, how far does that go? Mm -hmm. Right. And then that 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 brings in a whole bunch of other issues that we can talk about that weren't on the scheduled program. But, <laughs> you know, everything. Right. We can talk about all kinds of things with relationship to that. But I'll just stop it right there. And so anyway, it's led me to think about like, OK, so when you go to a martial arts school, a lot of times the first thing they'll talk to you about is, You'll never raise a fist in anger or aggression. You raise this in self-defense, only mm. if you really, really have to. Mm. Most martial arts schools will say that, right? They have to establish a set of ethics around the use of these arts of war, mm -hmm. right? And, and in the same way, like, we have to be able to think about, like, if we are asserting um, a particular kind of identity— at, at one point, does our making of community begin to impact other communities in potentially negative ways? Mm. So the question becomes for the martial artists, when does martial arts um, cross the line from self-defense into, like, unjustifiable aggression, right? Mm. And I think in the same way, we have to establish an ethics around identity to say, like, okay, we need to be able to protect ourselves, yes, right? We are underrepresented in leadership in institutions in this country. So we need to be able to advocate for that. Yes. Right. But at some point, like what, when does it become this thing of like, they're discriminating against because of whatever reason. Right. And it's no longer a lack of that you're coming from, but you're coming from a position of like, we're Asian American, therefore we deserve this no matter who else is out there. Mm. Um, right. So you have to establish kind of, an ethics around that mm -hmm. in order for it to feel right. You know, mm -hmm. you're not crossing the line from self-defense into aggression. You're not crossing the line from like a lack of into an imposition of like right. yourself uh, on somebody else. It's like what you were saying earlier. It's a liberation. It's like a stepping into yourself right. and but, a stepping into yeah. community. But the liberation piece, right? Like when do you actually say like, We've been liberated, and our job now is to liberate others. Right. And because of the position that we have as, as being in between in this sort of racial hierarchy. The racial bourgeois? The ra well, the racial hierarchy that's as it's structured um, in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. Like, since we're in between, like, how do we think of ourselves and, and what our roles and responsibilities are to other communities, right? Yeah. So that's where identity meets community is, is at that point where we have to be able to negotiate that. And out of that, I think like an ethics needs to kind of be determined for, for us in order to be able to, to move forward in uh, a way that feels right, 
right? Yeah. That feels pono. So that's just... What was it? That feels what? Pono, which is the Hawaiian word kind of for, oh, so many things. It's sort of justice. It's right. what's right, what's righteous, what's... Mm. Um, balanced, what's correct, Yeah, you know, like there's a lot of different kind of concepts in that word. I always think of, and I will say that I came to this piece of thinking and writing kind of embarrassingly late in my life, but that, you know, what what you're saying here, that the, the, like the Mari Matsuda essay or her speech mm. about like, we will not, we will not be the racial bourgeoisie. Like we, we will not we be have, used. Yeah. Yeah. We will not like specifically because of who we are we have this role and a responsibility to play like in the shaping and the formation of what it means to be American. It's just, I'm, I'm thinking now, I know we have to wrap up, but I actually can't remember. Like I don't, I, I don't remember the moment the way that either of you do of how hip hop entered my life. It was just kind of like, uh, the water, you know, that we, that, that we were in and that we swam in. But I was thinking, you know, this summer at the Brooklyn Public Library, the main library, has been a huge uh, hip-hop exhibit. And the the whole beautiful front of the library is covered in Jay-Z lyrics. And the center display thing that usually has like, oh, this author is coming to do a talk or here's this community event. It has this huge image that says the Book of Hove. And my kids, my nerdy little Brooklyn kids, Asian hoppa kids, you know, they went to library camp, like culture camp right there. So I would drop them off for two weeks and they would just be like walking past the library at 745 and just like reading Jay-Z lyrics. And like what? And I was like, oh, this is just they literally have no idea that this was something that would just happened. It's Beautiful. they go in and it's a museum where they're like getting mm-hmm. water and a pee break. And it's all about hip hop. And there's something that. uh I would like to know two last questions. One is, you know, Wu-Tang is for the children. Like, what what do you <laughs> hope that the kids are going to get? And what, this was a big question of ours, is yes. like, what are your five essential albums that all the kids need to know? Ah, like, what do the children, so it's, not, it's not your five essential, but what are the five that the kids need to know that we huh. can leave with our people so that they are... They're properly, they're, they're bringing up the next generation right. Like temp, time capsule type stuff, huh? Or just you're like, this is the best, this is the shit. This is what your kids need to know. <laughs> this is what the children need to know. Let's go to the first question because that's easier. What was the question again? <laughs> Remind me. Oh, what are we hoping for, for hip hop for the next generation? That they're able to kind of find with within with hip hop, they're able to... to to take it and make it their own, to be able to find their voices to talk about what their struggles are and where they want to be able to go together. Um, And that's been the beauty of it, right? Like 50 years ago, you know, from, you know, Herc and Cindy doing the party in their, you know, rec center at the bottom of their building, and like a hundred kids in there and they're just there for a party and for hot dogs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like from that to thinking about now how it's been able to allow young folks to vocalize their the entirety of their lives, the joy, like the pleasures of like a white tea or a lip gloss mm-hmm. or whatever. Like now, I'm, of course, I'm even dating myself with those references. <laughs> like 
You know what I mean? Like just to be able to talk about all of that to like what just happened down the block with the police that was really effed up, mm. right? Like that's mm -hmm. like, that's so powerful. And I just hope that they're able to see in Hove's lyrics uh, or in anybody's lyrics, Cardi B's lyrics, Megan Thee Stallion's lyrics, right? Like lyrics that allow them to be able to find the words to describe their time and their moment and where they want to go with things. Like that would be the beautiful thing uh, of it. And God, like the other one, it's so hard to answer. It's <laughs> It changes from day to day. Well, it's obviously the low end theory. Just like, why are we even, that feels <laughs> I, like. A, I love that. You know, that I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of low end over Midnight Marauders, yes. but it, it, it could be just like my age. I think Midnight Marauders is like more accomplished, but low end theory oh. was like the breakthrough. It was just like yo, we figured this out, and it's just the joy of, like, figuring it out. It's oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, that's my start-to-finish, no matter what, album at least mm. three times a week. I'm just like, oop, yeah? oop. Yeah, just does it for me. So mine, mine is, like, Balloon Mind State, mm. I think. Mm -hmm. The is Balloon Mind, which is turning 30 this year. <gasps> and it's probably, like, their most slept-on album or one of the most slept-on albums, I think. Mm -hmm. It's just... But it's just affirmation of life. But when now they're on, they're streaming. Yeah. Very exciting. God, right? It's a beautiful thing. Liberation. It's huge. It's, I mean, you know, for that to happen in the 50th year of hip hop and for them to get the love that they actually, you know, have, have maybe not gotten as much as they deserved. Like mm. with that particular album. Ego tripping. Yes, ego tripping. But IMIB, right? Like when I heard IMIB, I was like, oh, actually. I can get old in this. I can yeah. grow with this. Mm -hmm. Like, I could still listen to this, like, when I'm in my rocking chair, like, with my man Davey D, and we're still talking about the days when the A's were beating the Yankees. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, I, me and my homies will still be talking about that record when we're, when we're doing that out here, you know, in the Bay over, you know, hot dogs and 40 water. So it's just <laughs> basically... That album for me is like the everything, but there's so many, right? There's so many, like Good Kid, you know, Mad City, mm -hmm. like Death Certificate, you know, It Takes a Nation of Millions, um, man, you know, Light as a Rock, whew. like all of these records profoundly transform me. But that thing of what you were saying earlier of like, oh, I can listen to this now and just be nodding my head and then like... 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, w wait a minute. What was that what that song was about? Mm. Was that what that line was about? Or was that what that sample was about? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing to have it continually revealing itself like that. You know, in some ways, as we wrap this, I again, you're giving me so many beautiful revelations in this time of anniversary and we're recording this in the days of awe as a Jew sort of like thinking about reflecting and atonement and all these things mm. but this idea of like the mixtape as the ultimate kind of way of connecting into people and actually dispelling with this entire idea of identity being totally separated or aloneness mm. like that the 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 mixtape is like i made this thing with these elements and now you're going to take it and you're going to do some other things with it and then the next person's going to mash i mean we obviously there's the other concept in djing of the mashup but like mm. 
which has always been funny when we're always like trying to get URLs and things. It's a, it's either like <laughs> something weird and inappropriate and sexual or uh, some kind of DJ situation. Uh-huh. But this the the mixtape feels like the movement, the the continued re-engaging with something and giving it openly to someone else to engage with and maybe in some ways that's our kind of hope for these next 10 years of mashiness or just like and in in the hip-hop vernacular and in even for for me as a person who's stuck between 1991 and 1995 (laughs) in terms of the music that they take it (laughs) like I'm like I keep Uh finding like the Spotify best of 94 playlist I'm like was every good song written this year? <laughs> of course, because I was that was my formative period. But um, I want to find more mixtapes or I want to be, you know, be able to be the recipient of that kind of beautiful making of culture that's so shared and just like literally evolving each time it goes to a new place. Mm, I, you know, I love that metaphor, too, because. Well, so I have a, a a group of friends that I went to school with, and we had a little DJ crew and stuff back then. And um, we still like we're all dispersed across the U.S., but we'll still make mixes and send it to each other. Mm. And and the that's it's it's a beautiful thing. It's just something that that you know I'm I'm so happy that here we are. Like I couldn't have predicted like when we were in our twenties and stuff that we'd be doing this like however many decades later and stuff still no sending each other later. music. You're still stuff. twenty. No what? decades. Later. <laughs> negative negative decades later. Like that we go back in time. But anyway, like the other part of the mixtape piece is that it's a journey, mm-hmm. right? It's a journey. Yeah. It's like you you start somewhere and by the end of it, like you got in somewhere else. And I think that that's the other part of it that we um, ah, we could just use a little bit more of mm. in, in thinking about identity and community and stuff. It's a journey, man. It's like, I'm not going to end this journey. Like I'm going to, my journey will end, but I'm not going to be able to, to do it all. And, you know, it's like when you're young, when you're in your twenties, you feel like, uh, this mixtape that I make is like going to be the last one or this protest that I have. It's like we have to do it because if we don't change this, the whole world's going to fall apart. And like there's that urgency mm-hmm. that you have when you're in your 20s. And now that I'm like 19 again, like it's <laughs> it's this thing of like, you know, thinking, thinking about like, OK, what, what do you what is it that you how far can you leave this? And then, you know what I mean? And then like. Yeah. The next person will pick it up. They'll be yeah. inspired by your journey and they'll they'll pick it up and they'll they'll add that to their journey. And then that's the 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 process of of influences that we all can have on each other and and that's also the process of building community. So Oh, I love that so much, Jeff. And mm. we are going to from the middle, not from the end, pick up your journey and give it to the children. And now I'm just <laughs> thinking about your songs that you could grow old with and I'm like well, think about the songs that my kids have right now. And I'm like, will my seven-year-old daughter be listening and reminiscing to, like, Bodak Yellow? Like, I don't know. <laughs> she'll be like, I hope she what does. was that song about? I hope she does. <laughs> I hope she is, too. I, hope, like, I would I love to see what too. Bodak Yellow looks like 50 years from now. That, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Cardi's still going to be there. Her butt's yeah. going to be in all different directions by then. It's going to be fucking great. I love her. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Jeff, thank you so much. This has just been an absolute joy. 
Likewise. I want to say it was a predictable delight. Like we knew it was, it was true. we it's knew true. we were going to have a great time. So in that way, you really <laughs> delivered. I knew I, I knew I was going to have a great time too. <laughs> Love mashing it up with y'all. Thank you so much. Yes. Bye, Jen. Bye. Music as a portal to ourselves? Are you kidding me, Jeff Chang? Ugh, I love him so much. Oh, I mean, we kept the harassment light on that one. Um, <laughs> he's really a dream. A dream. A dream. I love him so much. Thank you, Jeff, for being such an incredible thought partner and picking up the mic whenever you dropped it, which was a lot. Really a lot. Oh, what a treat. And next week on the pod, we're taking a little break from our regularly scheduled programming for some Thanksgiving treats. We have some old faves and a little advice from me and Rebecca. Keep an ear out and we'll be back to our regular episodes after the holiday break. So stay tuned to catch the rest of the ultimate guide to a mashup life. We'll have episodes every week, all fall and like and follow the mashup Americans wherever you get your pods and tell your friends. Love you. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a production of the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lair. Senior editor and producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Production manager is Shelby Sandlin. Thanks to DJ Rob Swift for our theme song, Salsa Scratch. Additional engineering support by Pedro Rafael Rosado. Please make sure to follow and share this show with your friends. 